So for this sermon series, we've been really trying to <clears throat> hone in on corporate spiritual disciplines, things we do on Sunday <clears throat> and why we do those things. Like, why do we sing? Why do you sit under preaching? Why do we pray? Why do we give? Why do we take communion? Why do we fellowship? We're going to talk about some of those in the future. But why do we do this? And what does it mean? My hope for us as the body of Christ, as the church, is that our understanding deeper of why we do what we do pushes um, going through the motions away. Because that's what can happen with church. It can become like a check-in. It can become a check-in. Did you go to church on Sunday? Yeah, I checked the box. Um, and before you know it, we're checking boxes. We're not really understanding why we're here. What is the purpose both for the exaltation of God and for the enrichment of our soul of why we do um, what we do. So I pray that as we talk about these things, that as you look at the Sunday service, as we look at the Sunday service, we start getting so much more benefit from it. We start feeling so much stronger and so be built up in faith and able even to explain why we do what we do to those who don't believe or who are questioning their faith and those kind of things. And so today we're going to talk about why do you let a guy get up here and start preaching to you? When else do you do that in your life? It's a very unique thing to Sunday service that a people gather, everyone is quiet, we open up our ears, and most of the time you let me get up here and preach the gospel to you. Why do we do that? And so I want us to hear first the most important thing that any preacher does and any congregation does in listening is the preacher proclaims the gospel and the people of God listen to the gospel and it moves them to exaltation in the mission of God. So our faith should be both built, um, built presently and we should have hope in future glory. And so I thought of one message that impacted me. I'm sure you have certain messages. It can't always be the best message. It can't be one that always impacts you the most. Even the preachers up here, they're going to have good days, bad days, okay days. I preach some B's and A's, hopefully just a few C's, and hopefully we stay away from F's, right? But we all have those messages that truly impact us. We leave here and we say, I feel like that message was for me. I feel like I needed that during my journey of faith. I feel like I was so hungry and that that fed me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I look back and I thought about one where that happened with me. And many times we come here weary. Is there some truth to that? We come here, it's been a long week. We come here, we're, we're questioning our faith. We come here and we say, man, I am falling short. Yes, again, am I still in favor with God? If today was my day to stand before God. Would he be pleased with me? Would I enter through the gates of heaven? Would it, everything be well between me and God? We come here weary, and so I want to share this message with you, and hopefully you can relate. I was weary in my calling to be a pastor. I literally was asking myself, I think I was even in my late 20s or turned 30, I was like, I looked at all the, the boxes you had to check for qualifications to be a pastor in 1 Timothy 3, and I said, man, there's trouble in paradise. I said, how can I possibly grow and meet all these expectations so I can stand as a qualified man before the body of Christ and really lead people. And I even hope, like, God have a future for me, even questions of my faith. And I listened to a message from 
one of my good, good friends who preached a message, and it was about 1 Timothy 3, and the amazing thing about it, it wasn't like seven steps to be a stronger pastor. It wasn't like, okay, here's a night neat way. If you just follow these steps and institute these things, then all of a sudden you're going to be what you want to be. It was basically said, you are weak and you can't do it, but Jesus has done it. It basically said, this message, the main point was, you are not qualified, but God's grace is going to qualify you so you can lay down your life for the people of God. And what good gospel preaching does is it made me weep. It made me weep because I said, I can't do it, and it amazes me that God would do that in my stead so that my life could have purpose and bear fruit for others to the glory of God. That's what good gospel preaching does. It takes our defenses down. It eliminates the strength that we boast in, and it puts all of our faith at rest in Jesus Christ. It is totally disarming. All of the preaching you hear in secular facilities or secular places will tell you how awesome you are. You are awesome. If you only knew your potential, there would be no earth and no limits, and you are unbelievable. Just believe. Look within. Look within. That's how you mess your life up. That's how I mess my life up. Because I followed the desires of my heart that weren't in line with God. What does the scripture say? Don't follow your heart because it's messed up. Follow the word of God. And when your heart lines up with the word of God, then follow that heart that is pure after following God. Does that make sense, guys? So all of the preaching is telling you, listen. Here's seven steps to the most successful and happy life you will ever live. Just read this. Apply this. But the gospel is totally different. It says, you know these separate set, I'll give you ten. All these ten commandments. See all these ten that you're supposed to follow? I know it's not an exodus, but you can't really tell, can you? You know these ten commandments? You were supposed to follow them, and every one of you fell short. If you feel like you haven't fallen short, please raise your hand and leave immediately. No, I'm only playing. It basically said the law was instituted to show us that we couldn't do it. Because we can't do it. But all of a sudden, good gospel preacher, know what it does? We come here each week on Sunday, and we say, I've fallen short. Yes, I'm growing in some areas. I can't do it. But the reason we sing, the reason we exalt, the reason we listen, because it says Jesus knew we couldn't do it, and he came and did it for us. Amen? And that's the stuff that lifts you up. If you really want to change, don't start depending on your own strength. Let's be brought to our, our knees and looking at the glory of God displayed on the cross, and when you begin to weep, and you, that, that humility runs through your soul, and you say, I'm undeserving and unworthy, you will become more like Jesus every single moment of your life. See, too much trying to become like Jesus and not about worshiping Jesus. To be, You become like what you worship. Let me tell you that. If you worship something, admire something so much, you look at it and say, I want that more than anything. And you I love the way, you know, like with Jesus. I love the way he spoke words of love. I love the way he laid down his life. I love how he forgave. I love how he was tenderhearted. I love that he was so powerful that he could have called down angels and destroyed everyone, but yet he did it by nonviolence and laid down his life. When you start worshiping a person who is like that, you start become tenderhearted and not violent and forgiving. You become more like Jesus. That makes sense, guys? What you admire, what you exalt, you will become like. 
And when we sit, when good preaching gets us to see Jesus died for us on the cross because we could not do it, you don't even have to work at it because you start becoming more like Jesus because your heart is broke and contrite at what Christ has done for you and me. Amen? That was transformative for me. In my 20s, I thought salvation was by works. With the way gospel, some preachers would preach who are good brothers in the faith, it was like, you got to earn this. You've fallen short again. You can't do it. I get it. I know it. The whole Bible says that. It wasn't until I realized that it was finished, that it was finished, and I couldn't do one more thing. I couldn't do one, enough good works this week to be in favor with God that I started to change. And I pray that you hear the kind of gospel preaching at Restoration Road that tells you you're a mess, but tells you Jesus is perfect. And I'm telling you right now, if you keep looking at the perfection of Jesus, you will look back a decade from now and you will be more like Jesus. Amen? That's gospel preaching. It disarms our worldly defenses. It humbles us regarding our present stance as forgiven children of God and causes us to hope in future glory because of the work of the gospel. Now, I'm getting excited, so I'm preaching ahead of my points because I'm so amped up. But I want to add this in. When your heart, by God's grace, sees how he has saved you from sin, when you see others who don't understand that they are being destroyed because of sin, it breaks your heart. And when I look around at people I love who have not put their faith in Jesus, not following Jesus, and I see that they don't even realize that sin is destroying their life, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Like, because sometimes many people don't even believe there's such thing as a sin. There's no sin. There's no one higher power that you can sin against or transgress against or violate against. So they don't believe their sin. We, we sometimes label our sins as shortcomings. And if you're just strictly on a secular evolutionary understanding of existence, then it's not even sin. It could be an advantage to get you ahead in the workplace or in your town or in your job, right? If there is no God and it's simply secular, atheistic, evolutionary means, why would you not lie to get ahead at your job? If it can get you a better position, why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you be two-faced at your job? You're more sly. You're more evolved. You're getting a bigger paycheck, right? And many people are living deceitful lives, living immoral lives, living lives who are not filled with prayer but filled with gossip, and then their souls are restless, and their souls are lost, and their souls are depressed and their souls are anxious and you want to say listen there's a remedy for that there's a remedy for that Christ died knowing you are a sinner and the cross is the most beautiful and powerful thing and if you only look at that your sins will be wiped away and I want to say to everyone here that we need to hear the gospel too because some of us might be wrestling with unrepentant sins that are making us sleepless and that are making us anxious and making us so we got to stay on the move and you can't stand still and stop and so I encourage you to lay all of that at the cross of Jesus Christ that's why it's so beautiful and it's what Sunday does we come here with restless hearts 
sometimes. We come here weak sometimes. I pray you leave free and light and encouraged and hopeful. This world can take hope right out of you, right? Good preaching on Sunday should put hope right back in you. I'm telling you, I'm the preacher and I fight to keep hope. I'm like, this really stinks, man. I said stinks. I'm turning into a Sunday preacher. Like this days, I'm like, man, I'm up here trying to tell people to hope and this world's so broken, I want to give up. Like really, I don't care how good you have it. I look around and say nothing is perfect. I don't care if it's going great in your town. You look and you see there's terrorist attacks in London, right? And the way we're all connected so much, it's hard not to see the brokenness. Even if you're having a good day, someone else is dying in another country, or, or sickness is happening, like, you see this, it's hard not to lose hope in preaching, and why we sit under it should bring a new hope into us in future glory. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 9. This is our text today. And that's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 9. My wife says to repeat that because I say it too quickly. So I'm running through that again. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen or ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul was on a second missionary journey around 50 AD. He was running the circuit. He was preaching the gospel. He had received much rejection in the other cities leading up to Corinth. Okay, so he's preaching a crucified savior. And much rejection. People aren't even responding. What do you mean a crucified Christ? The scripture tells us to those who are perishing, the message of Christ is absolute foolishness. But to people who believe it is the power of God. He gets to Corinth. And Corinth, let me tell you a little about this, this city. It was a wealthy city. It was a cultured city. It, it boasted of the best philosophers, Stoics that would come there to the 20,000 person outside arena and would listen to the greatest wisdom, the greatest speakers, the greatest communicators that the world would ever say they had. They came to that arena and they would speak about wisdom and what life's all about and how to be successful and all those things. That's what Corinth culture was like. They boasted in their intellect. They boasted in their academic prowess. They boasted in these things and people would gather by the thousands to hear the Stoic philosophers come and share their knowledge with them. Here we have the Apostle Paul, who is an intellectual giant. He's a beast. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He studies, he's intelligent, he's wise, he's a genius. He has all those things in his pocket. And he's come to a place where they cheer for you if you're considered wise. Where they cheer for you if you are considered a fantastic communicator of wisdom. Now... 
What does Paul choose to preach about? Now, he could preach in probably five different languages. He could break down his wisdom. He could break down the Torah like no one you ever heard. What does Paul choose to preach to the Corinthians about? A crucified Savior. This should be the main point of why we sit under any preaching of the word of God that God gave his only son to be slaughtered for our sins so we could be reconciled with God and have peace for all eternity. There's a lot of great communicators out there. There's a lot of great entertainers out there. There's a lot of great speakers out there. But there's not a lot of good gospel proclaimers out there. And some of them have infiltrated our pulpits. They will get up there and they will break it down. And you will even feel like your life is better. But it will only be things that you can use in this world. But will not have any eternal value for the glory of God. When we come and we sit under preaching, we shouldn't just be looking for things that we could take for ourselves, but things that stir our affections for the glory and the exaltation of Jesus. Amen? That's what we want to look for to bring us joy. And of course, there's benefits for our souls, and we will get to that. I'm sure it was tempting to Paul to want to preach according to his wisdom. Man, if I preach according to my wisdom and people see me as some sort of fantastic sage And you know what? I can fill up this church more. Do you know what? If I preach according to my understanding of languages and all these other things and break it down like that, then you know what? Maybe that will help the church grow and maybe my name will be more renowned. There's all those kind of temptations out there. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, it's tempting. I'm so tempted to preach self-help messages to fill up this church because I know it would. Like I'm telling you, my heart messes around with it once in a while. I'm like, this gospel stuff, it's scaring people away. I'm like, I'm telling people they're sinners. I don't expect them to come back. I'm like, you are horrible. You're so weak. You beep. And I love some of you guys keep showing up. But part of me is like, it's hard to preach like that because a lot of people don't want to hear it. I'm like, man, if I just tell people how to be successful up here, And I tell them that if they give their money, they're going to be driving the BMW. And I tell them their house is going to get bigger. And somehow their lawn's going to be better. If I can do that kind of preaching, when nothing ever is going to have you follow Jesus, you will have the happiest life. Man, that fills the seats, but that's no benefit to the kingdom of God. It might look like it. But God will judge our works one day, and he's going to burn a lot away. He's going to burn a lot away. Paul knew that. That's why he said, no. No. I preach Christ, and I preach Christ crucified because it's the power of God unto salvation. And we should never get sick of hearing the name of Jesus Christ exalted in our pulpits. Amen? It never gets old that our filthy sins were forgiven and that we were reconciled with God. And I'm telling you, in eternity, you will say that's still a fantastic message as I enjoy the benefits of that. But we also see that something happens with good gospel preaching. It builds our faith presently, and it causes us to hope in the future because we have a tendency to want to put our hope and people we consider wise and intelligent. To be honest with you, if someone can drop that Greek word on us, 
if they can tell you where their diplomas came from, if they can talk about where they've been and what they've done, and how many languages they can speak, for some reason we want to rest our faith in that. I'm telling you right now, and I'm not only saying this because I don't have a seminary degree. I'm really not. I would rather listen to a man with a GED who gets the gospel, preach a humble, contrite gospel where we are unworthy but Jesus is everything than a man with a PhD that is dropping Hebrew on me that thinks somehow he's deserving and that we could live up to the glory of God. Any man with character given and qualified by the grace of God should be able to preach the gospel regardless of how many degrees he are, he has because he realizes how unworthy we all are. But if you get that gospel and that fire burns in your soul, I'm not impressed by you. I'm impressed by broken men who realize they're nothing but Jesus is everything and he has laid down their life for them. Those kind of men in the pulpit change your lives. Those are the kind of men you want to hear. Don't let them, and believe me, I've done it myself, so I don't want to say them, don't let us. Impress you with our vain glory to think you were something special. Look for broken men in the pulpit who you say, man, you can see that Jesus saved him and set him on fire so we can understand that foolish things are used to confound the wise. That's what you want to look for in your preaching because we can rest our faith in so many other things. But in this verse, it says, don't rest your faith in the wisdom of men. Rest it in the power of God. And I want to ask you, when you think of the power of God, what do you think of? When you think of the power of God, maybe you're someone who's been out on the boat and you saw that ocean. You say, man, that's the power of God. Maybe you get up on that mountain, if you can really hike. I can't breathe up there. The altitude kills me. And you look out, and you look at all creation, and you say, man, that's the power of God. Maybe you're like me when I was younger. I watched every National Geographic, and you saw the blue whale going through the ocean 100 foot long, just powerful. And you said, that creature, that's the power of God. Do you know the only thing that's called the power of God in all of Scripture? The gospel. Not the waves, not the mountains, not the sky, not creation. None of that is called the power of God. There's only one thing that's called the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, a murdered Savior, the Son of God who became man on the cross. They said, if you see that cross... You see the power of God. That's the power of God. If you see that, all other things pale in comparison to that. When I look at how powerful that other religions would say, yes, God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He is transcendent. There's no doubt about that. He is even creator. But he would not stoop so low to take on flesh, be born of a virgin, be whipped, flogged, beaten, bruised, and murdered and slaughtered for his people. That's too low for God. That would make him not powerful. What does the Christian faith in the Bible say? It says God is powerful because his love, justice, and holiness propelled him to stoop so low to become flesh and lay down his life for sinful creatures like you and me who didn't deserve it. He died for us while we're still sinners. And if you look at that cross, you see your reconciliation, your forgiveness, your peace, your hope, the glory of God. That's the power of God. Amen? That's the power of God. That his son would lay down his life. We can't, we got to let this sink in. The Son of God took on flesh and laid down his life for you and me. You know, there's something they would do in the ancient, uh, in the ceremonies in the Old Testament. 
the high priest, there was a sacrificial system where they would atone for the people's sins. One of the things they would do is they would have two goats. One was for propitiation and one's for expiation. So what would happen is the people were sinful. They would gather to worship God. And the high priest, people would repent of sin. He would lay his hands on the goat. And it would be signifying and symbolizing that all the sins of the people went onto that goat. And they would actually sacrifice that goat. Because the wages of sin are death. So death had to be paid for sin. There was another goat that some people don't know or animal. That they would lay hands on and would signify that this goat took the sins of the people, and they would take that goat so far away so you could never see him again. That was called expiation. Sins were expiated. That means that Christ, you know why they call him the Lamb of God? Because he came the object of propitiation that all of our sins, past, present, and future, for every person who is in Christ was put on Jesus on the cross, and he was slaughtered. I want you to hear that word slaughtered today because he was sacrificed. He was murdered for our sin. But then a beautiful thing happens that I want you to hear, and I want me to be reminded of. It says our sins are expiated, meaning our sins are brought so far away from us, they're forgotten, so we don't even have to look at them or think about them anymore. Some of us need to hear that today with the power of God, because you are still so guilty for sins you have committed in the past or in the present, and you need to allow them to be expiated because they already are in your mind. You are not guilty. You know what? You were sinful. You were so sinful. I, I've been so sinful. You made horrible decisions. You were selfish. You thought of yourself over others. You should, you should have been ashamed of that. But you know what? Jesus was crucified, so you don't have to let that be the center of your mind anymore. Because it's not in his do you guys hear that? Gone. Stop letting that keep you up at night. Stop letting that think you're worthless. Stop letting that affect your social life. Stop letting that affect your hope in the future. Stop letting that affect your identity and you look at yourself as something that's impure because you are not impure. You're pure because of the work of Jesus. Amen? That's the truth of the gospel. Any other message doesn't have that kind of freedom. That your sins have been taken away. And I love, so good gospel message helps you presently. I hope everyone here just felt free. I hope you're like, man, I need to hear that today. I needed that. I need someone to get up here that believed that to speak me to that. Speak that to me. Whatever I just said. So presently, gospel preaching on Sundays, why we do it so you feel like that. You feel free. Secondly, it should give you hope in future glory. Listen. Our faith is going to really struggle if you think our faith is all about now. Listen, there's going to be a day when Jesus is king visibly. There's going to be a day when all evil is wiped away. There's going to be a day when we no longer have to see by faith, but we will experience God, each one of us, for all of eternity. There's going to be a day when there's a new heavens and new earth, because that's what Jesus promised. You've got to hope in that future glory. And in verse 9, it says a wonderful thing. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart even imagined what God has in store for those who love him. So you ask me, what's in store? The Holy Spirit wanted to keep it a secret. It says, no eye has seen. How can I explain that to you? No ear has heard. It's that good. 
How can I tell you what it's going to sound like? Your heart can't even imagine. All you creative people, all of us creative people, our imaginations can't even think of how awesome it's going to be for those who love God in the future. It's like this, and I'm going to use a foolish example because they, they stay with you. I was watching a video of a kid, first time he ever ate bacon. Did you see it? This kid was like one years old. He had some dry cereal. That dry cereal, you remember that. That wasn't good. Maybe formula. Oh, oh it was nasty. All of a sudden, they put a strip of bacon in this kid's hand. He doesn't know what's in store. If they had tried to explain to this kid what bacon was, he has no reference points. It's better than the dry cereal. So, better than formula. Everything's better than formula. How do you, how do you up that? This kid gets his bacon, right? And they stop videoing because they know he's about to experience something. They he met bacon. He takes a bite in that bacon. I'm telling you, this kid doesn't even know how to process the taste that he's tasting. He just goes, bacon. He put a little stank on the end. And then he just sat there and he's looking around his family like the joy. And he took another bite and went, bacon. I'm telling you, look it up. And the family's like, this kid had no categories for bacon. Mind blown. Reason I tell you the parable of bacon is because I'm telling you right now that our mind has no categories for what God has in store for us. I'm telling you right now, the sights, we can't even do them justice. When we experience God and glory, whether it's passing from this life to the next, from death to life, or Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, there's no categories for the sights. You're just going to be yelled out, Jesus. The sounds, the music, angels singing, us singing, the glory of God, there's no categories. You're just going to be saying, Jesus, this is unbelievable. This is more than I could ever imagine. The beautiful smells and aromas to finally looking. How can we describe finally seeing Jesus face to face? Are we going to, uh, like, what's going to happen then? Well, how can I describe that with categories of this earth? That finally, everything we have ever hoped for, everything we've sacrificed for, every moment we've used to serve others, every time we've been persecuted, every time we've battled doubt, you finally see him face to face. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy this kingdom. Good gospel preaching should cause you to hope in a future glory that is going to blow all of our minds. Because your sacrifice now and your hope now will be rewarded in eternity. So some final thoughts on giving you some helpful ways to maximize the corporate spiritual discipline of sitting under preaching. And so the first thing I want to say is commit yourself to combating the mentality that you can't sit still. That is, um, that is a doctrine in the streets. I'm telling you right now, people, I can't sit still. I can't sit still. Come on, hear a message. No, I can't sit. You've got to combat that mentality. That doctrine in the streets has more people not sitting under preaching because they think they can't sit still. They think they're just going to pop out of the seat. You've got to combat that mentality. Listen, it's going to be a struggle. I'm, listen, I have trouble sitting still, so I'm empathizing. But little by little... You can grow in that discipline of sitting still because the gospel causes soul to rest. And as you keep hearing better gospel sermons that enrich your soul, you're going to sit better. You're going to listen better. You're going to take it in better. All right, another practical thing on that same point. 
don't drink two Dunky D's iced coffee with three turbo shots before you come through that room. I see people just throwing coffee. It's like, here we go. You are not, listen, have your coffee if you drink, but I'm saying, some of us are so caffeined up, we're ready to run the sanctuary instead of sit down. I love coffee. I'm not against caffeine. But I'm saying you have to think about how you're getting ready to sit down. And I don't know a person in America after two Dunky D's right through the door can sit down and listen to a 25-minute message. You're going to be like, be done. I'm telling you right now, do not start that new Netflix series at 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. I see some of you doing the neck flip-flop. You can't stay up to three on Saturday night and expect to be ready to listen to the message on Sunday. You got to be ready and pray and say, God, I know I get restless in those seats. I know it's tough for me to sit down, but help me rest during that time. Help me see the benefit of it. Help me grow in knowledge and understand the importance of gospel preaching, not only for my own life, but my family's life and my friend's life, that I need to be impacted by that sermon. So that's good for point number one. Point number two, take notes. Take notes. Tell you, I don't know if she looked at my sermon notes, but she came out with her notepad today. And I was like, you look at my sermon notes, you know I was going to say that. We got some note takers in here. And I'll tell you, this is personally for me sometimes. When I see someone taking notes, I'm saying, I'm saying something good. They're paying attention. When we take notes, we're able to write it down, really experience it, and be reminded of it during the week. I encourage everyone to have a spiritual journal. I think that's very important to growth and health. But, and I'm not judging anyone that has, doesn't have a notepad. But I'm saying notepads really help to keep what you heard. And so just some things to write in those. The first thing, of course, things that hit you and really hit your soul, write it, write it down. Secondly, ask yourself, how did the sermon cause me to rest in the gospel presently? That can be a great thing to take your notes. How does, and all those people notepads today is like, what a day to bring a notepad. I look like I'm serious. How did the gospel affect me presently today? Like, how did the gospel preach affect my daily life today? Some of you might come in here today and say, I, I, I feel filthy. And I pray that today you feel washed clean. That could be a note. You know, secondly, you say, how did the sermon cause me to hope in the gospel for the future? That's a good note. Ask yourself that question. How did it cause me to hope in the future? Some of you might be saying, you might be missing a loved one who was in Christ. You might say, like, I missed them. That really hurt my heart this week. I was, I was weeping over it. And then you say to yourself, you know what? The gospel says one day I'll see them again. And you take that note and be encouraged by that. And you say, how can I apply this sermon to my life today? Some of you might come in here and hear the gospel, and you come in here bitter. Like, there's someone you can't stand, maybe a whole group of them. And then the gospel hits you so much, and you say, I have to forgive them because Christ has forgiven me so much. Then you say, Lord, I learned I need to forgive. And you apply that to your life, and you walk in that freedom that day. That's how, how notes really help. And finally... One of the things I do with my family is every time we get in the car, I ask my kids and my wife, what was the big idea of the sermon? A lot of pressure. They have to always tell me it's good, so I can't believe it. But I say, what's the big idea? Now, the first few times I asked, people were just stressed out. Like, I don't know, it was good. I like that part, good story. But then 
they started getting ready for me to ask them that answer, and my family really started to understand the big deal. Talia would come up with the idea, Natalie would get it, Kara would just be like, oh, here we go again, and we just do our thing. But, but we started to, as a family, think about what was the point of that sermon, what was the big idea, and it began to enrich in the way we listened. And I'm going to use Joe Vecchia as an example today in a positive, very positive way, as how you can go from someone who might not benefit so much from sermons or look forward to it to someone who maximizes their corporate spiritual discipline. When I used to preach like 10 years ago, Joe Vec would do the, they made me come to church, Bob. Oh, here we go. Yeah. I'd be looking out. I'm like, am I that bad? Sometimes he would just outright fall asleep. Outright fall asleep. And if someone gave a big amen, he'd wake up like, yeah, yeah. And he'd be like, he ain't amen in that. Back in the 80s, he got, he got saved like 19 times because he thought the altar call was for him. And so I look, and I'd be like, this dude, man, I, I must not, I thought I was better than I am. But you saw a change in Jovet, because every Sunday now I call him, and we do what the debrief, we ask what the debrief was. You know, how the sermon go, how was the worship, did we see new people, it was great to see that person, what were you encouraged by, what was funny, all those kind of things, it's called the debrief. And I always ask him, what's the big idea? Now back in the day, I would ask him, Jovet, what's the big idea? And he'd be talking about it, something that wasn't a big idea. I'll just put it like that. And I'd be like, I love you, Joe. I'll see you later. And I'll move on. But you could see as the months went by, like three weeks ago or maybe six weeks, I forget, he told me the big idea like word for word and it bugged me out. I almost just hung up. He said it was about this, bang, 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 bang. And I was like, Wow. All those months and years over a decade, Joe Vec went from falling asleep in the back by the heater because it made it warm to being in the front row just amped up, just amped up, rocking that copper brown and that perfect hair at 80 years old, just walking out of here saying, man, that was a good message. Here's the big idea, what you need. I hope that gives hope for us because we're all at different stages of listening to message. Some of us look forward to it. Some of us like the first five minutes. Some of us want it to be over. Some of us just like music and want us to take out the message. The importance of preaching is that Jesus Christ is exalted and the gospel encourages you in your faith where you are in future hope and glory of Christ and that you leave this place saying Jesus is all. He's everything and above all. So Restoration Road, let's keep Creating this space for preaching because Christ instituted in this church for the good of his people. Let's honor preaching and listen in preaching and grow in discipline in preaching because it's all for the glory of Jesus and our souls will be strengthened. Amen? So let's pray.